you can have. No one can do as much for you as a well-trained mind can. On the other hand, there is nothing more detrimental than an untrained mind. Even your worst enemy can't harm you as much as an untrained, undisciplined mind can. And of course this is not difficult to appreciate. We can see that when the mind is untrained, when the mind is just caught up in its reactive moods, caught up in cravings and aversions and restlessness and confusion, it makes life quite miserable for us. It makes us quite helpless victims of circumstances and we continually go up and we go down and we live in fear of the unpleasant and we're always craving for uh, certain situations, trying to control, trying to achieve. In other words, we're living in a state of conflict, a state of tension. Very little peace can be found, very little happiness can be found, even when things are going well. Even when things are going well, your mind will still make problems. Even when you're successful, the nagging thought will start arising of the possible failure awaiting you in the near future. In the midst of success and comfort and happiness, the mind will still create problems. These days in our very prosperous society, there isn't much, not really, not very much physical deprivation and so people have a lot of time on their hands to create mental problems. And we do. The amount of neurosis and mental problems that are being experienced in this society are far greater than those experienced by, say, more simple uh, societies, village people, peasants. They're more concerned with the physical struggle of life working from dawn till evening, uh, struggling against the odds of uh, uh, sort of physical hardship, they don't have time to worry so much. They don't have time to create so much mental confusion and so many doubts and so much fear. Their fear is pretty ordinary. Maybe it won't rain in time. Maybe it'll rain too much. Something like that. So that uh, we can, all of us, easily appreciate the importance of the mind and that this mind does need to be investigated, understood and trained. Now quite often most people associate spirituality or religion with something very abstract, associated with idea of ritual and ceremony and worshipping and uh, sacrificial rites, penances, uh, praying for certain things from certain beings and the performance of certain sacred rites, sacred ritual. That's what a mass is, a sacred rite, it's a sacrament. And in the hope that this is going to uh, bring to them, of course, security, happiness in the present and especially in the future, future life. And a religion which does not emphasize that sort of practice 
is quite perplexing to people. It's quite perplexing that there can be a religious life, a spiritual life, without sacred rituals, sacred ceremony, sacred symbols, intermediate to communicate between you and that power beyond the priest. It seems a bit strange, doesn't it? So, what is religious and what is spiritual? When are we being religious and when are we doing something spiritual? From the Buddhist perspective, of course, it's got nothing to do with the rites, the rituals, the, sacri- the sacrificial performance of certain acts or ceremonies. It is to do with the heart, with the mind. It is to do with cultivating qualities within the human being, the qualities within the human mind. We can refer to these qualities by various, say, categorizations of spiritual qualities, but uh, one of the very best ones is the, the what they call the five spiritual faculties. These faculties are the qualities that enable one to become enlightened or to move towards enlightenment. One could talk about many other groupings of qualities, of course, but they all refer to the say, attributes of the mind always pointing back here to this being, this mind, this body, always talking about how to cultivate this being, how to arouse, how to develop, how to bring to maturity certain qualities, certain attributes of the mind. And that practice we call the spiritual training religious training so that when we undertake this training we are endeavoring to cultivate qualities within ourselves we are endeavoring to cultivate these spiritual qualities spiritual in the sense that they help us move towards the goal of the spiritual life which is enlightenment or, in a more ordinary, pragmatic sense, happiness and peace. So that all of these, uh, all of the training really comes back to this mind. You know, we talk about morality being uh, to do with bodily actions, verbal actions, Yes, that's true. All the rules are only to do with your body and your mind. Uh, Sorry, with your body and your speech. All the, say, the monks' rules of discipline. All to do with what they can and can't do and how they do it and when they do what they do, uh, in which situations. All to do with body and speech. The five precepts are all to do with body and speech. The eight precepts are to do with body and speech. However... What's behind the act? What's behind the speech? Before you do anything, the mind wills, intends. It's the intention, it's the volition. 
before you speak. You may say, oh, I spoke before I actually thought, as if your, your mouth just opens by itself and starts speaking. You may mean, I spoke uh, without due consideration, without due uh, thought in the sense of uh, assessing the consequences, considering the situation, but you certainly spoke with intention. Your mouth doesn't open by itself and your tongue starts wagging and you start speaking without any mind. You've never seen a corpse do that, I'm sure. <laughs> I have never seen a corpse just start talking. If it does that, then I begin to suspect that it's not a corpse. <laughs> begin to suspect there's something fishy going <laughs> So behind the body, behind the speech, behind the action, there is the volition, the mind. And so everything does come back to the mind, really. In order to be able to live according to certain principles, certain standards, the mind must be willing to do it. The mind is that which runs the show. The mind... Uh, leads, the body follows, the speech follows. This is why in the very first um, verses in the uh, Dhammapada, the Buddha said that the mind uh, leads, the mind is the forerunner to all states, all acts of good or bad. So it is very much the mind that we are concerned with and the spiritual life is very much concerned with cultivating the mind, cultivating qualities in the mind. Because this mind is not something static, not something uh, still and stagnant. It is not just a, like a, a solid mass of unchanging uh, state of stillness. The mind itself is a process and that mind is in a continuous flux, continuous state of movement. The mind can have all sorts of attributes. The mind can be skillful, the mind can be unskillful. The mind can be trained. This is very important for us to appreciate this. If we don't understand this, there is no progress on the spiritual path. Another very important saying of the Buddha was uh, with regards to this mind. He said, that I'm just sort of paraphrasing, not accurately quoting these things, just presenting to you the gist, the heart of them. He said that this mind, in its more basic original state, is quite radiant, luminous, but it becomes tarnished or blemished by the defilements that arise in it. However, if one cultivates this mind, develops this mind, it is possible for the mind to remain luminous and radiant so that the defilements do not blemish it, do not tarnish it. For those who understand this, there is the practice of mental cultivation. 
For those who do not understand this, there is no practice of mental cultivation. In other words, if you realize, appreciate the fact that this mind can be trained, that the essential nature of the mind is not to be defiled, but to be radiant and luminous, and it is possible to attain to that state, then you have a direction and a purpose. You have the motivation to undertake the jitta bhavana, the cultivation of the mind. For those who do not know this, of course, there is no jitta bhavana because there is no knowledge that it can be done, so there's no motivation to do it. So this is very important to appreciate. The mind can be understood, the mind can be trained. The spiritual life, the religious life, is primarily concerned with this process of understanding the mind, training the mind. Cultivating spiritual qualities is primarily cultivating the mind. And once we know this, we will begin to see that spiritual life is not something restricted to any particular activity, any particular situation, any particular ceremony, any particular holy place. The spiritual life is more the life of cultivating spiritual qualities and that can be done anywhere, anytime. This is not dismissing the value of having places of uh, worship, places of practice, having symbols, having ceremonies, having formal uh, religious gatherings. It's not dismissing that, but it's pointing to something more basic and more widely uh, practical, usable. In that once we understand what the spiritual practice is and the spiritual life, then we see that it's boundless, not bound by time and place. So cultivating the mind, cultivating spiritual qualities. Spiritual qualities are those qualities which, as I said, help us move towards enlightenment or move towards peace and happiness. The five spiritual faculties are just well, as I said, one grouping, it's quite good. These five, actually, the Buddha said, were the measure by which we could assess how close to or how far one was from enlightenment. Because when he was asked as to why some people became <coughs> attained fruit of practice, attained enlightenment uh, quickly, whereas other people took seemed to take forever. He said it was due to these five spiritual faculties. Those who had quite mature faculties, those people who practiced, could attain enlightenment quickly. The ones whose spiritual qualities were as yet weak and undeveloped, those people would take a long time. So these one could say, are a measure of our spiritual maturity. These five are, first one, confidence. And as I said, this is what gives you motivation, the confidence. One confidence that this mind can be trained. Once you know that, then you have motivation. Yes, I, I can train the mind. Confidence that the mind 
can be purified, then there's the idea of purifying it. Confidence in the teachings would say, you have to purify the mind, no one can purify it for you. Otherwise you just put it aside and wait for the guru to come along to zap you on the forehead. Why bother doing it before then? You may as well just relax. So it's the confidence that is, I have to do it. So there's a willingness to rise up and do it. It can be done. So there is the uh, volition to try and do it. So this sort of confidence. There is a need to do it because it's quite important. The mind is the forerunner. You know, what's going on there in the mind is really the important thing. The quality of the mind, whether it's creating hell or heaven, it's your mind that's doing it. You may consider that the conditions around you are creating heaven and hell, but no, it's basically your mind. Sitting here in the one room together, one can be in heaven, another can be in hell. Yes, sitting on the tram. Side by side, one person is in heaven, the other one is in hell. The mind, the mind is doing it. In the midst of comfort, the mind can be in utter misery. In the midst of discomfort, the mind may be very peaceful, even joyful. So we begin to see it is the mind that is the most important. We're not dismissing that the environment can make for comfort or discomfort, pleasure or pain, but that is secondary, actually. It is quite secondary. It is of nowhere near as great importance as the mind. And so we, we also have confidence in the need to do this, that this mind, if it's out of, if it's out of order, it's going to make life rather miserable for us. If it's out of order, if it has wrong view, if it has addictions to various uh, tendencies that make for mental misery, the tendencies that to, to re- react, to proliferate in ways, negative ways, through confusion, through all sorts of... Uh, greed and hatred, which makes for a lot of mental anguish in the form of fear or confusion, anxiety, depression. It's not very nice, you know. Not too good. But that's the mind doing it. Even right now, you could sit here and start thinking, what's going to happen? Anything can happen. So if you, you know, if your mind is if you let your mind run, and it's conditioned to run in a particular along a particular track, it'll start. It can quite easily start making you feel very, very miserable, either anticipating some uh, misfortune, the possibility of misfortune, the possibility of something going wrong, the possibility of failure, the possibility of separation, the possibility of sickness, death, humiliation, the possibility of some sort form of difficulty. Yes, the mind can do that. You're sitting there eating your breakfast and your mind can just start doing that. Sometimes it does, doesn't it? Sometimes it uh, can just create all sorts of mental anguish, quite unnecessarily because the immediate situation, 
this moment, the present, is more often than not all right. But even if it's not all right, even when there is a, there's a, an obvious problem in the present, because it may well be, still the mind complicates the situation even more by the process of proliferation, the aversion, the fear that it creates in addition to just the present discomfort, the present unpleasant situation. So you, we begin to appreciate the importance of the mind, the need to do, the need to train the mind. So we have confidence in this, the importance of it. Now this is very important to cultivate this uh, sort of confidence. In other words, uh, a kind of a commitment, a determination if you wish, a resolve, understanding uh, that it can be done understand that it needs to be done. And so, we we are willing then to put forth effort, which is the second of the spiritual faculties, because in Buddhism the path of spiritual training unfortunately does require effort. Very unfortunate, this one. (laughs) And it just just happens that it seems to require effort, energy. Energy is the arousing of, if you wish, arousing of oneself. Effort is the application of that energy. Energy and effort, they are much the same sort of thing. In the Eightfold Path, we call it right effort. In this five uh, spiritual faculties, we talk about energy. But they are much the same. Energy is being to rouse oneself. Arouse the energy. And effort is the application of that energy, putting it into practice, doing something with it. So when we have confidence, when we understand this, that the mind needs to be trained, it can be trained, it is important to train it, and we have to do it, then we get, we, we are aroused, or we, we feel energy. Yes, I want to do some of this. You have motivation. The motivation, the energy aroused, is aroused. And this is very important because without the arising of energy, I mean, we won't really be able to do anything. We may even think about doing it, but we won't do it. Why? I mean, I said how nice it is to start off the day by sitting meditation. I mean, most of us know that, don't we? Most of us think, yeah, that's really good. I think it's a really good way to start off the day. You should meditate every day. That's what we tell people. (laughs) But to actually get up and do it, to actually rouse oneself physically, requires energy. The energy to rise up, the energy to apply oneself, the energy to go against just laziness, the energy that sinks, that, that stops us from sinking into complacency, lethargy, a hopeless state of just uh, laying down and being carried along by the stream. 
So this energy is a very important spiritual, you see it's spiritual quality, it's amazing isn't it? But it does require energy. In Buddhism, quite contrary to some people's belief, um, the path does require energy and the application of energy, energy and effort. And uh, because you have to do it, all that the teachers can do, even the greatest of the teachers, even the greatest masters, even the Buddha himself, could point the way in the most skillful, powerful ways, but still, the individual had to make the effort, had to take the steps. And so it does put a lot of responsibility onto our own shoulders. We have to take the step, we have to make the energy. Of course it would be nice if all we just had to wait and when the guru came he would enlighten us and everything would be resolved. You know, some people talk like that, well, well, everybody believes different things, it's all right, but the idea is that when, you, when the guru, when the right one, when the real guru comes, then you'll be ready. So in the meantime, don't worry about it. And now this is a cop-out, I think. Uh, a cop-out. Certainly from the Buddhist point of view, anyway. We have to rise up, have the confidence, arouse energy, have energy and then apply this energy. Now the way we apply energy is to apply it for some specific purposes, some specific uh, tasks. Now in the uh, spiritual faculties they enumerate a few, few things, but actually it goes far beyond that. See, all these groupings of teachings, they're only a skillful way of, of teaching. It's not as if only these five and nothing else, and only this eight and nothing else. They're all just skillful ways of grouping things together for the ease of comprehension, remembrance and explaining. But when we arouse energy then, it's the application of this energy to certain tasks. And the task, as I said, is the cultivation of the mind. Cultivation of spiritual qualities in the mind. Now, foremost of these spiritual qualities Foremost simply because it is that which opens the door to so many other things. Without this, the door is closed and nothing else can be developed. Foremost of the spiritual qualities simply because it does provide the basis for doing so much more, for cultivating so much more of the path. This quality is called mindfulness. Awareness, presence of mind, wakefulness of mind, the quality of knowing, the ability to reflect, the ability to know what is in consciousness, what is the state of one's own mind, the ability to know what the mind is doing, what one is intending. And remember, I have said that the essence of the spiritual life is to get to know the mind, investigate it, to train it. Now without mindfulness, there's no seeing, there's no knowing. There is therefore no training. Without mindfulness, there is no training, there is no path. So now you may understand why it is so important that this quality opens the door. This quality opens the door, makes it possible 
for us to train to get to know the mind, to train the mind, to cultivate other qualities. So this quality is foremost, mindfulness, sati. It is the ability of the mind to wake up and know. Know according to awareness. Know what is being experienced in this moment. What the mind is like in this moment. In other words, what are you thinking now? What are you feeling now? What are you intending now? When this quality is present, we begin to see the mind. When this quality is present, it offers opportunity for us to then make choice, to train, to develop, to cultivate the mind. You know, if you want to cultivate a garden, you have to get in there first, right? Or if you want to clean up this house, you have to get into this house first. It's no good standing out in the street thinking about cleaning this house up. You're standing out there and think, oh, I'm going to clean up the house. <laughs> and it just doesn't work like that. First thing is you've got to walk in the front door. Open that door. Once you're inside, you can see. You can see what's in there, you can see what needs to be cleaned, you can see how to clean it, you can see what to do. But as long as you're outside, no, there's no cleaning possible. There's no, you don't even know what's in there. So this mindfulness is the quality of opening, we can say, is the, like opening the door. And opening the door and seeing, getting to know what is going on. What is in the mind? What is the condition of the mind? What's the state of the mind? What is the process of, in the mind? Because this mind, as I said, is not just a blob, it's not just a, a mass of uh, solid, constant, static, stagnant, something. The mind is just a process of mentality, just a process of movement of consciousness with various qualities. It can be seen, it can be observed, it can be understood, it can be changed, it can be directed, it can be trained. Otherwise, if it couldn't, there'd be no mental cultivation. And if there's no mental cultivation, that means we have to remain stupid all the time. <laughs> but we already understand now, we have the confidence, that's why we have the motivation, now we arouse the mindfulness. So we can see the mind, so we can train it. Now this mindfulness is a very, as I said, it's like a foremost quality. And when and how do you cultivate mindfulness? When and how and where? Does it require going and sitting in a shrine room? Does it require kneeling on your knees and uh, praying to someone? Does it require putting on certain clothes? Does it require a particular day, the holy day? No. Those things may be useful as skillful means to help us Am I coming to a special place that these are all skillful means, but 
don't mistake don't mistake the, the means for actually the process taking place if you want to serve some food you may put it in a dish and have cutlery there in order to be able to eat it but don't mistake the fork and the spoon and the knife and the plate for the food it's not really the fork the fork is useful but you don't eat the fork it's not the fork that really enables you to be full if you didn't have a fork you could eat it with something else pick it up with your fingers you didn't have your fingers, you may even stick your... <laughs> you may even eat it just with your mouth. <laughs> or you could even be fed by somebody else. The important thing is the nutriment of the food. So we mustn't mistake those uh, symbols and the form and the you know, for the actual food. This is very, this is very fundamental to to appreciate the the time, the place, the ceremony, the um, symbols may be useful to help us cultivate the quality, but they are not the quality. And this cultivation of mindfulness is not really dependent on time, place ceremony or otherwise it is something that can be done so in actual fact whenever we are making applying the energy making the effort to be awake then we are undertaking a spiritual practice whether you're sweeping the floor whether you're cooking whether you're cleaning the bathroom Doing the gardening, driving the car, spiritual practices, whenever we make the effort to be awake, to be mindful, to know what's going on, to see the mind. Yes, it is spiritual, because we are cultivating a spiritual quality. And one of the uh, very important spiritual qualities, mindfulness, wakefulness. So that the spiritual say undertaking spiritual practices got really uh, we, we can say it's not it's not the ceremony it's not the place it's not the church it's not the temple it's not the praying but the effort to cultivate say mindfulness and not just mindfulness full stop because mindfulness opens the door mindful of what mindful of what is the, what is the quality of the mind what is the content of the mind? What is the uh, mental process? So that then we can train, we can cultivate. Now, in this cultivation, you know, when we begin to see and are aware of what's in there, we come into the house, we see what's out of order, we see the mess. If somebody's left a cat in it, in the house, we will certainly see the mess. We'll become very quickly aware there is a mess in the house. Yes, as soon as you open your the eye of awareness, you will soon begin to see the mess. The mess in your own mind, don't you? <laughs> the mess, that, that uh, the process of mentality that goes haywire. We begin to see the mess of when the 
when this process of leading to all sorts of negative states, the obsessions, the fears, the pettiness. Oh, it's all a mess. It's suffering, in other words. So then, uh, you know, there's training of the mind, making effort now to train. But to, you see, to train the mind to actually, you know, once you see a mess, to actually clean it up, you've got to be able to, again, apply energy. You've got to have some control. I people, you know, we like I was saying about sometimes dealing with anger and emotions, and uh, you can. It is true. You can become aware of these things, and you can control them. You can change them, but you have to have control over the mental process. Can we control our mental process? Can we control thinking? If we cannot control thinking, then we cannot control the mental processes. We cannot control what the mind creates. Now, to control thinking, I'm not talking in an absolute... Now, don't get me wrong, because on other occasions you've heard me say that you can't really control. But, like, it's the same as controlling your body ultimate sense you can't control the body I mean you can't make your body well I'm only five foot two I want to be five foot eight grow come on <laughs> grow Ajahn Jagra said you know the power of the mind well <laughs> you're not going to be able to do it well I mean, unless you if you've got some psychic powers maybe you can do it uh, in as a um, little bit of a party trick, but yes, you can't really control the body in some unnatural and unreasonable way. There's always limitation to how much you can control in this uh, in the conditioned realm, mortal realm. You can control to some degree, but only within the laws of nature. But you can control the body, can't you? You've learned. All of you have learned to walk. That was a really difficult task. You may have forgotten how hard it was, but it was really, really, really hard to learn to walk. The first challenge in your life, all of us succeeded. We learned to walk. Now that required learning to control the body. You had to learn to control the body, you know, balance on your feet, stand up, take a step without falling over, then another step, another one, and then you could walk. It takes a lot of control. If I say to you, can you get up? You say, of course I can get up. If you haven't been sitting down for too long, cross-legged, you may think you can get up. But that requires a tremendous lot of control of this body. Just consider what it requires for you to stand up. You do it without even thinking. You just, and you're up. But it requires a lot of control of a lot of muscles, a lot of uh, sort of balance of this body to be able to get up from the sitting position. 
But you've learned to do that. You can do it. That's control. It doesn't mean you can make your body fly through the air, you know, control your body now and fly through the air. Most of us can't do that. There's a limit. But we can control the body to a certain degree in the same way with thought. We may not be able to control thought in the absolute ultimate sense, but there is a degree of control that is possible and that is necessary and that is beneficial to us. Just like learning to control our body so we can walk, we can stand, or maybe have other skills. You know, some people learn to control their bodies to very high degrees, like these athletes. Now that, that is possible. In the same way with thought. If we haven't learned to control our thinking, it means we can't stand, we can't walk. The thinking just goes all over the place, wobbly thinking. Sort of, you try to think of one thing and then it sort of falls over into something else. And wobbly thinking, confused thinking. It's just being led around by all sorts of habits and, and uh, obsessions. That's out of control and that is misery. That, is, uh, that means we're vulnerable and victims of circumstances. That's why in the midst, as I said, in the midst of ease and comfort we can still create problems. It's the thinking which is out of control. Just like we've never learned to walk. How do you think there'd be something wrong if we'd never learned to walk? Well, in, in mentally, we haven't learned to walk. We certainly haven't learned to run. We certainly haven't learned to do anything very spectacular. Because we, you know, most of our thinking is is mechanical and habitual and we don't have so much control that's why the emotions and these mental states are, are seem overwhelming to us so now controlling this means having the just like learning to control the body is nothing don't think of it as unnatural there's nothing unnatural about learning to walk is there? you don't think well if you were supposed to walk you'd walk you'd just walk you wouldn't have to learn to walk You learn to walk, don't you? And the same with uh, thinking. We we can we must learn to use it. It's just another tool. We must learn to use it and have the control over it, so as to make it a beneficial tool. Just like the body can be used uh, beneficially. Now, this controlling of thought, controlling of um, attention, controlling of the mental process, we can term under the category of concentration. And concentration is like learning mastery over the process of the mind. Learning to, to have control over the process of the mind. Once we have mindfulness, we see what's going on, okay, let's get things in order a bit. And this is what you do like in the morning here. You, we come and we sit and you sit here and you begin to open the door, notice the mind, the mentality the processes of thoughts. Hey, this is out of control. There's a lot of thinking about this, a lot of thinking about that, images of this, dialogue about that, worrying about yesterday, planning tomorrow. By the night we smoke, by the day we burn. And this is when we're sitting still meditating, we're smoking. We're sitting there smoking, all these... <laughs> it's quite hard to breathe after a while. So much smoke filling the room. As, you know, all this 
you know, oh, yes, we did that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to go there, and or is this sort of a nebulous activity of the mind's out of control, smoking? And then we finish the meditation, get up and start burning as we run around, you <laughs> know, uh, doing things. But if we, you know, once we sit down and we resolve and we, and we set ourselves up and begin to look and say, oh, there's confusion in the mind. Okay, now we begin to make effort to train it. Really, okay, put these things aside, keep the attention here as an exercise in establishing order, establishing strength and clarity and precision, controlling. Yes, I use that word because so many people think it's wrong to control. People really thought it was wrong to control. They just, uh, I think, they should reconsider what they're doing with their bodies, what they're doing when they drive, because it's all to do with control, everything. And the mind needs the same degree of care, the same degree of